This is the bigger. This. This is the Bigger Pockets podcast. Show. Two fourteen. You know they want to list and they have to list and sell their home before they can buy ours. We'll step in and make them an offer and say, listen, I mean, if you want to buy the property that we have to sell, we'll buy yours. And so we sort of facilitate a lot of deals that way. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, Brandon? Josh Dorkin, how are you? I'm doing okay, man. Doing okay. Good, you know, good. Living, it, living life, enjoying this uh, lovely gloomy day that we have here in Denver. Yeah, it kind of looks like, I'm um, looking at your out your window, that looks like Washington. It does. Nice. It's a little unusual, but you know, that's all good. Well, you're it's a little unusual. Well, you know, it fits. Well, welcome back from Canada. I'm <laughs> just going to ignore your comments. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, Canada, uh, yeah, I'm back. We're, we're, we're uh, back in the States. However, we are talking to a, a Canadian today. A we boot, are. A boot, ironic, isn't it? Yeah, a boot Canada. Is that a bad Canadian accent? Well, no, I mean, we're, talk, we're talking to a <laughs> No, Canadian we're talking about, about U.S. Yeah. Investing in the U.S. Yep. So, yeah, it's, um, and, it's any and this is a show for everybody because we're not, it's not like specific to, hey, here's issues that a Canadian's going to have buying in the States. It's, you know, hey, here's what this guy's doing, how he's doing it. And, and it's, it's interesting. He's, he's definitely, uh, Raising, raising the bar a little bit, huh? Yeah, definitely is. Uh, I, I like his whole, like, I don't know, perspective on think bigger. Like he's like, I could go buy a house or I could put together a $30 million fund to buy houses, you know, like yeah, very cool stuff. Yeah, so. it's great. It's great. Cool. Well, before we get into the show, why don't we do today's quick, quick tip. tip? All right. Today's quick tip. We are hiring here at Bigger Pockets. We have, uh, we've got a couple jobs, but by the time this episode comes out, those jobs will likely be filled. We're hiring engineers. We're hiring all sorts of other folks. If you are looking for a job at an amazing company, go to biggerpockets.com slash jobs and uh, see what's up there. You can check it regularly. We, we update it. Like I said, we have five positions open right now, and that is likely to change. But go to biggerpockets.com slash jobs, and uh, maybe you will get a job here at Bigger Pockets. You might. You might. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. All right, guys. Today's show is show 214 of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and you can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 214. Today's guest is Joel Sherlock. All right, Joel's a real estate investor turned agent. He's got a focus on fix and flips and income properties. He does live up in Canada, but does, you know, has been doing the what sounds like the bulk of his investing down in the States. Lots and lots of great information. And you know, he's, as Brandon said earlier, I mean, he's he's gone out and kind of raised the game here. He's one of his first deals was was this, you know, whopper. Well, it wasn't a deal, but he put together this this big fund. And started finding lots and lots of deals. Fascinating stuff. Uh, really interesting. Uh, again, another perspective different than all the others that we've had on, on the show. And hopefully we keep doing that. But let's bring him out here and hear a little bit more about his story and what he's doing. So, all right, Joel, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've not had a lot of Canadians here on the show. In fact, I'm not sure if we've had any. Uh, but you do you invest- just lost your entire I just audience. Lost- <laughs> well, you invest in, you do more, you do American stuff as well, right? Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah. so just people listening to this don't have to be like, oh, well, it's Canadian. I'm not going to listen. I won't learn anything. I think we're going to learn a lot from you. That is my hope anyway. So, <laughs> I hope uh, so. yeah, I hope so. So, uh, cool. Well, welcome. And why don't we start where we like to start a lot of times? How did you get involved with real estate investing? Yeah. So, I mean, going way back, uh, I'm a, I'm a finance student and big numbers guy. And then of course, as you know, you come out of high school and then it was like, well, do you, do you buy or rent, run the numbers and uh, you buy. But at the time uh, I had a credit card with some room on it and not a lot of money. So a friend and I bought a, a pretty terrible one bedroom uh, den apartment and then put a small little reno in it. And uh, you know, we, we sort of split that and it uh, you know, it was, we called it a two bedroom, but uh, it wasn't quite. And then he met a girl six months in and first year of college for me and uh, said, Hey, I, you know, I'm in love and I'm going to move in with her. Like, you should buy me out. And I said, well, uh, let me just check the couch and see how that's going to work. <laughs> but, you know, we put it up on the market and uh, we bought it for 89,000, um, put about four grand into it and then put it on the market six months later and sold it for 145. Oh, wow. Wow. And, you know, at the time I was in school and I'm like, what a, what a pain. And, uh, you know, this is terrible. And so I, I went and bought a unit in the same building, one floor down, two bedroom this time. And I was going to reno it and just have a roommate and no one was ever going to, you know, now it's going to be mine and this wouldn't happen again. Sure. But as soon as that one was done, I thought, hey, wait a minute. I wonder if I could sell this one. And, uh, you know, going to school, doing my securities degree. So I like to be a stockbroker. And, uh, you know, everyone's telling me that for the first couple of years, I'm going to get yelled at, make 30 grand a year and get people coffee. And I'm going, well, I just made double that flipping two houses. That was kind of fun. I'm going to try that for a while. So 
you know, as the projects got larger, you know, the banks in Canada are a little more conservative. So they wanted me to have a job. And I said, well, I have a job. I'm flipping houses. So ended up in, in the car business um, for a while just because it allowed me to make good revenue and come and go as I please. And, you know, it, I was racing BMW cars at the time. So I went to work for them. And uh, that, was a, that was a great, it was a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, met a lot of people and, you know, working with my realtors, you know, I'd show up in a suit in our market, they can be a little more casual at times. And it really frustrated me. So I got into the business with one of my realtors at the time. And uh, I started a brokerage in like an independent brokerage in the Okanagan area, which is like Canada's Napa. And I did that before I was licensed, which for anyone listening, that is the wrong way to do it. <laughs> so you started a real estate brokerage with my realtor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. With my realtor. So I put some money in, we started the brokerage, you know, got the branding together, started to put the systems in place. And then I, I raced through my real estate course as quick as I can so that I could start making some money on the sales side. So, uh, you know, and, and we started that business in 07 in the Canadian market. So, you know, that was it. Luckily for me, I had sold some property that I owned to sort of fund my, my transition and I'd sold it at a very good time. And then, but, you know, learned the real estate sales business at, at the very bottom. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I, you know, I, I've, I have never actually heard everybody do it that did that, right? So they opened the brokerage and then got the license, totally but, but I mean, it's, if it's not, I don't think it's illegal to do that. I mean, cause you had your, your partner the, the was the broker, right? So you, it's not hundred percent. Right. So, yeah, and then, and then we had a, you know, a nine one five. So like yep. a licensed broker on staff as well yep. and, and compliance and accountants and you name it. So, I mean, I don't think it's, I mean, it's a, a bit unusual, but I don't think it's the, you know, a horrible thing. Do you regret, I mean, like, do you regret Absolutely that? Absolutely not. Okay, no, perfect. I mean, it, it was definitely uh you know, it was an expensive way to learn the business for sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, subsequently I've, I've sold that brokerage four years ago as we started to get more active in the United States. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that. Nice. Get more yeah, active yeah, in the U S sure. yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. So I, you why, know, why me, do that by the way? That's well, good and, and, and we sort of stumbled into it. So, you know, from my, my soiree in the BMW world, I met a lot of really incredible people, doctors, lawyers, and, you know, as the Canadians were coming down in droves to, to buy real estate in, you know, Arizona or Florida or, you know, those depressed markets, a couple of surgeons were going down friends of mine and they were going to golf. And I thought, Hey, it's a little gray here. I'll come down, look at some real estate and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll golf and maybe have a beer or two. And, uh, you know, it, it was mind boggling to me. The first trip we went down, we were through 75 houses and, you know, we're talking about last sale was 715 and, you know, mortgage balance of 680 and, you know, it's listed at 350 and we're talking about a $200,000 offer. And the numbers to me were just, they were mind boggling. I mean, mm -hmm. we, I'd never seen anything like that, but then when we learned a little bit more about it, I'm going, well, hold on. For a Canadian, looking at that, I'm going, well, hold on. I can, what's, what's the rental market look like here? And if someone gave me that lot next door, could we replace what's here for that price? No, you couldn't. So, you know, at, at the peak, that market was taking a ton of starts. It was huge demand. And then it slipped quite a bit. So, you know, we put a thesis together and, and just came back to see, you know, it was, we're going to buy some property and the market will come back. I don't know when. And in the meantime, we'll make some great rental returns. And, uh, you know, so we put a fund together of 32 million bucks Whoa. and then went back down. And, yeah. So, you know, in a very standard like GPLP structure from the finance world, you know, the thesis worked very well. And we put a lot, you know, I put some money in and a couple of our managing partners put some big cash in too. So you're like, I mean, I love, I love this because I mean, it's pretty bold, right? Yeah, right. It's like, Hey, I want to go buy a property. I mean, most people think I'm going to go buy a couple of properties. Maybe I'll go flip a little house. Right. You're like, I'm going to put yeah. together a 30, mil $30 million fund. I mean, so 
in the, in, in the initial side, you know, we, I, I didn't know what the appetite would be. I thought, you know, we can, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put in, we can probably get to 10, 15 million and, and come and, you know, spend some cash in the area and, and, and get some great returns. But, you know, we never really, uh, I, 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 it was huge demand because it was just on the tip of everyone's tongue. And in Western Canada, everyone was going to Arizona and, you know, in Eastern Canada, Toronto, Winnipeg, Montreal, like they were going down to Florida and, you know, it worked out really well for us. We, we met some great people and, you know, we had some really, really incredible connections down there. So, you know, we raised some money, went and spent it, started getting good returns and then more money came in. And so from the, the real estate investment work that we were doing in, in Canada, we met so many people who wanted to participate down there, but didn't necessarily know how to get access to it or how to put it together. So, you know, it was a, it, it was an incredible ride. And now, you know, we're, we're divesting ourselves of all those assets. Now we've got about 14, 15 doors left. And, you know, there's been, we've made some good returns on just the currency alone. Okay. So let me, let me back up a little bit and get kind of an overall picture of what we're talking about here for partially because yeah, I want to, I want to know more about what the, we actually ended yeah. up doing with the third line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm thinking like, first of all, what is a, fu- for the people who have no idea, what are we even, what, when you say you're, you built a fund, what does that mean? And then what did you go in and buy? And, and let's go there. So it's just like a, it's a big pool of capital, okay. you know, so we, we came back into basically it was everyone that we were talking to, like coming out of the finance world and, and partnering with a real estate guy. And, you know, so I was selling real estate and then we were also flipping houses and we were working with investors and we'd been involved in some private financing up here. So, you know, I'm again, with that background on the finance side, I'm, I'm very comfortable with those kind of structures and joint venture agreements and, you know, private lending Etc. So when we came back, you know, we, we had a very conservative uh, business model and, you know, the, the rates and returns. And, and basically we had a management team down there, property managers, maintenance guys, pool guys, rehab teams. And, and, you know, it was just, hey, like invest with us. We'll go down and participate in this market and we can all split, you know, the management will be ours. The, the rehabs will be ours to manage. And then, you know, we'll give you this hurdle rate. And then everything above that hurdle rate, we took, we took a trailing interest on. What do you mean hurdle rate? What does that mean? So basically it was like the investors made 8% okay. and then everything above that we participated in. Okay, cool. So yeah, I know it's yeah. kind of how a lot of syndications work. You know, like if I'm gonna go buy an yeah. apartment complex, you know, I'll give a preferred rate, uh, you know, 8% to the investors. And then after that, we'll split everything, you know, 70, 30 or whatever. Totally. Uh, and so very similar there. Uh, I mean, again, I love that. You talked about your business model. You said you had a conservative business model. So what what does that mean exactly? You know, somebody's listening. They're like, uh, I, I don't even know what what is, what is it. I mean, for like, well, okay. So I I look at it as conservative because in in Canada we're buying houses at like four hundred thousand dollars and we're adding a suite in the basement for twenty five, thirty, forty grand depending on the area, and then we're getting you know fifteen to sixteen hundred upstairs and eleven hundred downstairs, right? Yeah. And we're looking yeah. at homes in Scottsdale where it's like $80,000 for a two bedroom, you know, like walk up sort of Melrose place style development. And then, you know, $4,000 to, to rehab it and we can get $1,200 for it. So for me, I'm going, well, okay, I can buy one of these in Canada or I could buy three of those down there or four. Yeah. So, so just, is that- yeah, like the cap rates were just a lot stronger. Plus I saw, you know, a huge uptick coming in that market, just had no idea when. So was the intention of the 30 million to go and buy lots of these? Is that kind of what the plan was? Yeah, essentially, like we put some cash in, started buying, and then we went back out to our networks up here and just said, hey, you know, who wants to come and play ball with us down? And, and it, the, the between 
BC and, and Alberta or like Calgary, which was a, you know, an oil town and, and doing very well at the time, it, it was far more than we ever expected. And so, you know, we had four partners on that fund, if you will. And uh, one of them was a, a private mortgage finance guy that I'd worked with before. And so he had some really, really big ties into some big capital. So what do you, what do you do with that? You, you go down to the States and now what? Uh, so, I mean, initially, like we just had really good relationships with brokers um, and, you know, we would get great deals. But then, you know, as the banks started to parcel things and, you know, you're buying things on on auction steps or we're getting auction lists and, you know, you have somebody run out. And, you know, we, we had a gal on staff who would just get the auction list and go to every property she can and look in the windows and, OK, that one's missing appliances or she's at I'm at 123 Maple Street and it has a pool. It doesn't say pool in the listing. So we would know, OK, that's one we're buying for sure. And, you know, it, it, as the volumes came up, it, it got a lot harder to find deals, you know, and then the management of it, you know, the market down there, the rental market did very, very well for us. And then most of the currency we brought across at, at par or, you know, a dollar and change. And then now we get a dollar 32 to a dollar 37 on the way out. Oh, so a little currency arbitrage in the, in the middle of it all, huh? <laughs> that was a nice so- little, yeah, icing on the cake. Yeah. So what was the intent? Was this a buy and hold fund or was this a, a repositioning? What what exactly were you looking I, to do? Yeah, it was a sort of buy, improve and then resell when the market came back. And, okay. you know, in the meantime, it was, hey, we'll make some great rental returns. I mean, essentially what you're doing is what all the hedge funds were doing. Right. So like, I mean, like these big hedge funds were coming to the like markets all across the U.S., buy a bunch, 100%. hold them for a few years and sell them. Yeah. So we how, just had a tiny little hedge fund. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So how many deals did you do in that in that time period with that fund? So that we had, we had about 214 doors. Okay. Was that all condos, single family, multi, all sorts? They did both. You know, our, our mindset, we didn't want to be more than 20 minutes out of Scottsdale. Okay. Just, you know, for that, for that team, you know, if we needed the pool guy over here, or the maintenance guy over there, or the property manager had showings. And, you know, again, when you looked at those sales numbers, the farther you got out, if you got out into like Litchfield Park or, you know, Surprise or, or some of those areas out, the, this, the price is just, they sort of, on the uptakes came up slower. And then when things slowed down, they fell off way faster. So for us, it was just 20 minutes. You know, we liked newer inventory or, or things that we could add some, some good value to at a, at a pretty inexpensive price. Cause that was the other side of it. Like rentals in Canada versus rental costs down there. What I can get done for 12 grand in Arizona is night and day to, to up here in Canada. What do you mean? I mean, why, why is that? So you're saying it's more expensive in Canada to get stuff done? Yeah. Why is that? I mean, just Cost of living I don't higher? know. Huh. Cost, I, you know what? I'm not sure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I watch it. Stay away from Canada. Just kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So what oh, you well, ask, well, Safe market. Yeah. You know, we, we, yeah. Yeah, we got a good solid brand. lending here and, sure. and, you know, nice <laughs> conservative returns, but no, it's, it's been, a, both have been brilliant markets for us. That was a really exciting project. Okay. So why, why Scottsdale? I, frankly, it was a nice place to go and visit. And, and we had a lot of people, the demand there was, was huge. You know, when I went down for that first trip, I'd kind of gone down cause we'd had a lot of clients who had gone down and got a deal buying second residences for themselves. And, you know, we'd had some people who'd gone down and, and didn't get a deal. And so we just thought like, we had so many people asking me about it. I thought, you know, might as well go down play some golf and get some sun and figure this thing out so that at least, at least we can point people in the right direction. That's cool. Nice. I, and I love the idea that you just, you know, you picked a market, you find out what w- was working there and then you just went all in. You bought a bunch of stuff in that, in that area. You know, I, I just love that bigger thinking. 
Well, and, you know, yeah. And we looked at, we looked at Florida. We looked at, you know, we, we've seen lots and lots of deals and it's just, it, it wasn't a market we knew it wasn't a market. We had connections in it wasn't market that we had people in and, you know, and that's where, that's where I love, you know, bigger pockets is amazing for that. Cause I mean, it's so quick to connect with people who are doing it in, you know, they are invested and in flipping homes in this market and you can ask questions and people are really open to it. So yeah, yeah I'm very thankful cool. for you guys putting that resource together oh, for us. Thank you. Thank you. No, that's great. That's great. So, okay. You're this guy, you start by, you know, buying an apartment with your buddy and, and turning it into this little thing and you, you make some money and then you say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go build a fund. What follows? What follows after this, this $30 million fund? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I was, I was a cog in the $30 million wheel and it was a very exciting time for me. I mean, I, I really wish I'd put more capital in, you know, going back, I should have sold everything I had in Canada and put it all in there, but uh, I didn't, uh, you know, we still, I still buy, fix and flip. I've got a, a phenomenal business partner up here. Who's a luxury builder. So, you know, I go out, find the deals, you know, we plan them together and then I hand the keys over to her. She does the rental. I go find the next deal. Yeah. She, you know, she does a phenomenal job and keeps us on budget much, much better than I, which is incredibly important. Yeah. And then we manage the sale and then, yeah, so I'm, I'm just kind of out finding deals and, and we plan it together and she does all the, all the build and management. All right. So what are you doing to find deals today? And in, in, in this market, obviously it's changed a little bit last few years, probably since the, For sure. the fund. So what are you doing to find deals? Yeah. You know what? We have a lot of innovative strategies, you know, like I write a ton of handwritten personal notes in, and we leave those indoors and I find that they just, they work so much better than, than a printed thing. Yeah. You know, instead of, yeah. So you find uh, a deal, you walk up and, well, you find a, a property that looks like it could use some work and you'll leave a hand note, handwritten yeah. note. Handwritten note. And then, you know, recently I was in New York last week and I, I, I met the guys at Bond, which have like little machines that write handwritten notes I've for heard you. Of that. So I was like, yes, this mm. is amazing. Because, you know, for me, I, I'll get a hundred of those printed up. And if there's an area, you know, especially if there's an area where we just sold a house, um, we'll go and put it, you know, put a note in every single door. And I find that the handwritten notes just, they get us so much more phone calls back. And that's where we get to really talk to people about, you know, what we do, how the deals work and, you know, what kind of money we can offer them and, and sort of how much value we'll have to put into that house to, to really get to the sale prices and really just explain, you know, what it needs to look like for us to, to make money. And a lot of people, you know, it doesn't work for everyone. But, yeah. you know, we've, we found a lot of deals that way. We've also traded a lot of deals. Really? So awesome. like we'll, we'll put deals out, you know, on our listings when we have a finished product, you know, we'll let everybody know. And at the open houses, we're very open about it, that if you have a home that needs renos, you know, we'll buy your home if you buy this one. And that's been, that's been really successful for us. So, you know, basically we find us a buyer for the home we're in and, and we find our next project at the same time. Walk me through that. I, I, maybe I'm tired or something like, give me a hypothetical situation. Sure. Brandon, Brandon's, you know, got a property. You're, yep. you're you. How does this work? So open house agents are there, you know, it's one of the guys from our team and all the guys, you know, people come in and they go, Oh, this is so beautiful. And they go, Oh, where's, where's your home? And they're, Oh, you know, we live in the area. Oh, really? Well, what's the address? Well, we'll go and look at it. And if it's something that, you know, they want to list and they have to list and sell their home before they can buy ours. We'll step in and make them an offer and say, listen, I mean, if you want to buy the property that we have to sell, we'll buy yours. And that's so we double. sort of facilitate a lot of deals that way. Interesting. Yeah, I've not that's heard clever. anybody doing that, but it's clever. I like that. Yeah. And you're also I mean, an agent you, still, right? So I am also, yeah. So I, I'm still an agent and then we still have our, our team in the Kelowna market. 
So yeah. I'm assuming you can say, you know, they come to your open house or you meet them or whatever. Even if the deal doesn't work out in terms of you guys don't want to buy it to flip or whatever, you could still offer to then list it for them as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So. And it, you know, so it's a great, it's a great lead tool for our agents and they love them. You know, I, I don't list our, our projects. There's some challenges with that in the Canadian marketplace. So I always have one of the other guys on our team listed and then we spend good money to advertise those listings. And, you know, that we've, we've, we really push those open houses. So there's great traffic. It's a great lead source for the agent, but it's also been a, a great lead source to get deals and, and to find our next deals. Nice. Okay. Nice. So, mm -hmm. so how, I, I want to go back a, a drop here. Um, yeah. how do you find deals at scale? So, you, you know, you've got this, the, take the fund. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got a fair amount of money. You can't just, you know, buy a $30,000 house once a year. You need to be buying at, at a respectable pace. Yep. So how do you go about doing that in a market? To be honest, I, I don't know if we could remake that now. And we've had a lot of talks about it. And the reason we're selling those assets and, and sort of reinvesting in, in commercial now is just because we can't find deals on that scale anymore. You know, that I think that was a very unique time in the Scottsdale, Arizona market. You know, and the banks coming out with big blocks and we could go through and go, okay, we'll take those seven and we're going to This was like them. 08, 09 then you're talking about? Yeah, so eight, nine, and ten is when okay. we were spending. Sure. Yeah, Got and it. then we've been we've been selling for a year and a half. And Got and it. I think you know it's probably a Scottsdale is probably not you know you're not going to do that there. But I mean I know guys right now that do, are doing the exact same fun thing in Florida. They got a big fund and they're buying. I'd love to talk to them. Right? Yeah, dozens of properties. Totally. I'll, I'll totally connect to you. Yeah, they're doing like you know dozens if not hundreds of deals they're looking at in in Florida. And they you know they just find a market, find a niche that works there, and then they put together a fund and they're making it mm -hmm. work. And I've I've heard of guys doing that in other cities as well. And uh, so, you know, it might, even if you guys, you know, people listening to this might be interested in buying that a little bit larger scale somewhere. And, you know, if one area is booked out, maybe find another one. Where are people doing it? And the interesting part, I mean, you know, it was a mentor of mine who was involved with us. You know, he, he'd always tell me, he's like, Joel, it's exactly the same thing. There's just more zeros. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that. You know, that makes, that makes sense. sense. But, you know, it's the same analysis on each property. It's the same you know, analysis on the market. You know, we, we always look at job growth and, you know, population growth and unemployment rates and just to make sure there's a good stream of tenants coming in yeah. and also a good stream of, of new buyers coming in. I love that. Nice. Um, nice. So, Go you know, but before we do, before we do a, a episode of the podcast here, we always have our guests fill out like a little question or, you know, questionnaire. And we just say, is there anything specifically you think you'd like to talk about? And so Joel, you wrote on yours, uh, as I was reading it, you said our foolproof inspection strategy to get fixed price bids from our contractors, less surprises, oh, I, more I, profits. I love that. Yeah, so let's talk we'll about get that. a, yeah. So we'll get, well, it's sort of two pronged when we're closing on a property, like when we get a property under contract, We'll set out a four-hour window for you know our inspection and, and to have our trades come through, but by the time so we book that the owners are out. We are you know we don't have earnest money up yet, like you know we still have conditions on this or subjects on the sale as we say in Canada. Okay. But basically we've done our rough budgets and then you know we'll have our painter come in, we'll have our drywaller come in, we'll have our HVAC guy come in. Like basically there'll be a team of like 16 people in that house and they're all firming up their quotes. Wow. That's awesome. So, you know, I mean, and the reason we set that up is, you know, one time we had a, a, a large, you know, it was a 4,000 square foot house and it had a 12, 12 pitch on the roof. And so, you know, I, I just thought, okay, roof that many square feet, good go, let's do it. And, you know, when we started to get the, the, the quotes back from the roofers, as soon as they got there, the majority of them said, no, we're not doing it. Cause you know, you have to clip in and it takes them a lot longer and there's a lot more safety things and they need racks and pulleys and, all these, and, and I, I mean, I had no idea. 
So, you know, those kind of surprises can throw off a budget so quickly. So for us, we were really focused on just, you know, how do we minimize that? Again, for me, and, and I'm a systems guy. So anytime we make a mistake, it's like, how do we put something in place so that we never do that again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never made any mistakes. I've just invested heavily in my education. Nice. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> yes. I, no, that's I, that's how I at least sleep at night when, when you have those <laughs> silly things that we should have caught. So, I love that. I mean, so you're basically saying like, yeah, I mean like, so I've got a property under contract and what most people do, including myself and I'm sure Josh too, like when you put a property under contract, usually I'll, like, I'll do an inspection with the inspector will come over and then I'll buy the property and then I'll start getting in bids to come in. But at that point it's too late. You've already bought the property. It's already too late. You can't back out. Right. So you're saying, Pop Hey, it up. Yeah, I mean, do the work up front to get the guys in during the inspection period. So it's not just the house inspector. It's the, all the bids you can possibly fit into that hour or four hour window. I love that. I've never done so that. We but usually I'm, put, I'm doing that. We usually put like a two week clause period in yeah. there. And then the first week is planning. We're going out this many square feet. You know, what's the flooring guy going to come in at? And then once he has his rough quote in, we're like, great, Thursday, 12 to 4, we need you on site to firm up this number. Yeah. And then Friday, we'll remove subjects and, and so, you know. So how do you do that? I mean, given that so many of these guys are so flaky, obviously you found a good team of people, but like, you know, getting getting them to commit in that period. Um, and, and I ask this primarily from like, you know, somebody who's j trying to do this the first time who, or, or who hasn't done a lot of deals, like having that confidence to kind of go and convince these guys that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a great investor to work with, but you know, yeah. he, I want you to do something that most people don't do. This is very different. And so I don't know, what advice do you have on that? Well, oft oftentimes, I mean, you know, it, a lot of the trades guys, and for sure it's trial and error. Some guys will just blow those appointments and, and not show up and we just won't call them on the next time. But, you know, for us, we've, we've worked with a couple, we've, we've made those errors, but I do find, you know, if, if you're clear in your communication and like, we only have the house for these four hours. And so it has to be during those four hours. And we really, you know, you do have to stress that we usually call them the day prior and confirm it with them, but they're also looking to sell their services as well. So, you know, that we usually have their attention on that, but you know, it's it certainly with scale, that's really helped us, you know, cause now we have a, a bit more of a consistent team and, you know, the flooring guys know that we'll be doing more jobs in the future or the drywall guys. And, you know, so that, that has helped, but in the beginning it was just a lot of handholding, you sure. know, check-in calls, follow-up calls the day prior and just reminding them that we only have a 12 hour or four hour window and just letting them know, like, if you don't get in, in these four hours, you won't get the job. I, I, that's great because yeah, I that's love, yeah. great advice. Yeah. When you get people, if yeah. you're like, Hey, can you come over sometime to take a bid, uh, you know, bid on this project? I mean, that's my Noah just thinking aloud here. Like I do that. I'm sure, like, Hey, I'll come in three weeks. Yep. Can you come over yeah. in sometime in the next couple of weeks to come look at this property? Sure. And then two weeks later, it's like, Hey, you never made it yet. Oh yeah. I'm going to get over there still. Okay. Well, how about next week? You know, like, Hey, we've got four hours. If you want the job, you have to be here during these four hours. Exactly. They will make it there. I yeah. love that tip. Well, at so, least the good ones will, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and we also do it. And, and, and for us, you know, if somebody doesn't show, you know, then we're also, we haven't given them any money. And so if they don't show, we've sort of weeded them out before we write them a check and then they disappear, you know? Well, that's um, actually, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And well, we do the same thing with, with closings as well in tenanted properties and things that we're buying to hold, you know, we'll set the closing up for, you know, the 27th of a month. And then on the 15th, we'll book it for four hours and a very similar thing. So we can run ads on the property. We clear that with the current owner. And then we have a bunch of tenants come through so that we close on it on the 27th and then it's fully rented already on the first. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love the efficiency in that. That's very cool.
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. 
With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. So moving on a little bit, you mentioned that you're getting into commercial. Can we talk about that? Like, what are you, what are you doing with that right now? Uh, well, I mean, commercial, especially in Canada, well, in BC in particular, the the laws for the the, the laws on the tenant side yeah. in BC certainly uh, favor the tenant. In commercial, they're a lot more you know fair and equitable. And we've also just been able to find again larger deals. You know, we don't have to find two hundred deals. You know, we can we can buy shopping malls, or you know, we can redevelop some pieces, or you know, look at development sites or land deals and, you know, just larger ticket items, which has been really great. But, but also on the tenant side, um, you know, we find that it's just a, a smoother process, right? You know, you can have a tenant in there for 10, 15 years, no problem. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I had a buddy this weekend I was talking to who's a, a broker, a commercial broker down in like the, in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And he, he flat, he's like, why aren't there more people on bigger pockets doing commercial, even small stuff. And I, I didn't really have a great answer for him. I was just kind of like, it's just not what a lot of people do. I was like, there's not, maybe it's not a lot of writers writing about it. Maybe we don't have enough bigger pockets bloggers that are blogging about it. And so I'm, I mean, I'm recruiting him in. He's going to start blogging for us, but I mean, there are some definite it advantages. Happens. It's happening. Yeah, it's right? ha- yeah. 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 So why don't we, you know, like why, why don't more, more newbies or people get into, I mean, not newbies, just investors. Why, why do we all avoid commercial? I mean, there's more cash up front without a doubt, okay. but you know, once you get a few, you know, the, the banks also prefer commercial, right? You know, here you are with, here I got a five-year lease with a five-year renew and it's to like a bank or Starbucks or, you know, whatever that would be, yeah. they, th- that's like gold to them, yeah. right? You know, so one of the challenges we, we had was, you know, as you started to build the investment portfolio, you know, then all of a sudden the bank starts giving you pressure on, oh, how many mortgages we have. Okay. You know, to get past sort of seven or eight became a bit of a challenge. And then to get into your twenties became a bit of a challenge where on the commercial side, you know, they look at you like, okay, you're a commercial landlord and they're a lot more flexible, but to get started in it, you know, if we hadn't have made those returns that we did on some of those flips, the private equity fund and, and, you know, those things, I wouldn't have had the capital to get in. Okay. Okay. That makes so, sense. So you, you threw a lot out. I mean, you talked about malls and redevelopment and I mean, it sounds like you've done lots of stuff. So maybe you can walk us through just a, a couple small examples of, of some of the commercial stuff you've done. Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing for us is downside risk management, you know, so what's, what's the possibility of having a large vacancy, you know, so we, we look at a lot of deals, we analyze a ton of deals and it's always through exactly the same spreadsheets. And, you know, we, we sort of build them out and vacancy risk. And, you know, so we've looked at shopping malls. We've looked at development deals. Um, you know, we've looked at some multifamily pieces. But again, you know, it's, we want to be in, in a market that has good population growth. You know, shopping malls, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of torn, like looking at the way people are shopping now and the growth of Amazon and all of that. And, you know, what's, what's, what's the strip mall future? But they can still be very, very good investments. And, you know, you got a lot of security when you have those anchor tenants on either side. And then you really make the money off the, the smaller businesses in the center. Unless they go out of business, which is happening left and yeah. right. Yeah, our, exactly. our, our, our mall here in, in Aberdeen, Washington, where I live, I mean, it's the, it's the creepiest mall because you walk through it. And it was at one time a, a big, huge mall. But right now there's like four stores left in it. All, both anchor tenants are gone. I think both, maybe the Sears is still there. But 
It, there's probably two to three hundred stores, and there's four left. So you walk through it, and it's just like there's like tumbleweed blowing, and there's just garbage around. Oh, it's horrible. It's a weird, yeah. creepy kind of place to be. But and that's somebody, happening all over the country. Yeah, too, it way. is. Yep. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. place. But somebody just bought it for pennies on the dollar. I should have even, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I just heard a story last week about somebody buying, you know, this hundred million dollar mall for for like you know thousands of dollars. It's yeah. just crazy. Um, well, <laughs> tell me, tell me, Joel. So. I mean, it it sounds like you're talking in hypothetical, like you're 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 evaluating a lot of these deals. But what what types of commercial properties are you actually buying, or have you bought? Uh, so we yeah, we do say no to to most. I mean, you know, we've done we've bought a couple multifamilies, you know, eight units, sixteen units. I love those. They're just very hard to find in Western Canada for reasonable cap rates without getting too far outside of of our area. So that's really where I would like to go. But, you know, we, we did get into a couple malls, smaller strip malls in, in good growth areas. And then we've done a couple private lending deals in the development world. So, you know, where we've come in as a partner on the land. And then the great part for us is we can help them develop their sales strategy and, and exit the property once finished, too. Let's talk about those small strip malls for a second, because I don't think we've I mean, I, I know we had Joel Owens talking about triple net, but I don't know that we've <sighs> beautiful done a show necessarily where we've I mean, really covered uh, strip malls specifically. So what what are the economics of a strip mall? How do you how do you kind of make a decision on how do you evaluate that differently than potentially a, a multi or, or something else? What are you looking for? So really uh, what we're what we're focused on on that side is is like possibilities of, of big vacancies. You know, so if there are two big box stores on either side, you know, those can be safe, but you want to look at well, Target, for instance, was a, it was a huge, you know, came into Canada, massive, massive expansion plans, and then subsequently, shortly turned around and pulled right back out. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you, one of your 40,000 square foot tenants all of a sudden leaves, that could be detrimental to the entire investment. However, Target was backed by, you know, that, that lease into Canada on some cases, you know, was backed by, by the parent company. So then that gives you a ton of security. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's looking at all of those, but triple net is really the, the reason that we started going into commercial purely because, you know, if property taxes go up, their lease goes up. If operating yeah. costs, you know, we can put a management fee on top, you know, it's, it's just everything is totally, totally separate. So it's, yeah. it's more consistent cap rates and frankly, they're, they're better cap rates. So can you talk about the numbers on one of these just so we... Have an idea yeah, actually, what, you know what, what, what I, you know what I'd be about? happy to do too, if you want, is I can put one of our spreadsheets at the bottom of, you know, I can actually share the numbers and just, it's totally open book. I'll just black out the, uh, the addresses. That'd be awesome too. Yeah. We'll put yeah, that in the show notes. Yeah. If you if, but yeah, so like, I mean, so basically give, give, us, give us, you know, something, one of these projects. Yeah, so, I mean, what we'll look at is, is each individual strata unit will come in and then we'll put a different, you know, if it's a hair salon or something that's, that's got a 12 cap on it, you know, we might put a higher vacancy rate on that unit. In comparison to, you know, the eight dollars a square foot we're getting from the big box guy at the end, or or something along those lines. So really, it's it's an analysis of each of the businesses individually, and then we combine it all into one unit. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So how do you? I mean, this is a much bigger question that we're not going to be able to dive fully into. But like, how do you begin analyzing a commercial deal? Like. I mean, in terms you of analyze thousands of residential deals. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you like kind of get know what you're doing and that you add kind of well, things I, in there. Yeah. I mean, really, again, you know, you come back to like downside risk management, right? I mean, you know, what's, you know, in, in 
I, well, but again, it's very, very similar. Like we just closed on a warehouse here, which, you know, has, a, has, has an interesting use and a great cap rate, but that's exactly the same. We go out and look at how much space is available and how much future potential, like strip malls as well, right? I mean, if there's seven other malls that are getting developed and there's going to be a whole bunch of commercial property coming out, that's a huge negative on that. You know, now there's a whole bunch more competition coming out of the market. Okay, we don't want to do that deal. You said interesting use also. What, what was that? What does that mean? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we had a welding company in, uh, in one of our buildings and they just really, it was a bad tenant. So we ended up exiting that company and, you know, we had an ad out $10 a square foot and we got an offer for 12. I thought that's interesting negotiating. And uh, they, they had a license to grow cannabis, which is federally legal in Canada, which is interesting. So yeah, we, we ended up bringing that tenant on, which was uh a new soiree for me. I learned a lot. Like, ask me about wine. I can tell you a lot. I, I, I unfortunately didn't know a lot about that. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, uh, yeah. so so what is the Canada rule on that? I mean, like you said, it's it's federally legal. Federally legal. So you yeah. can't, they, so it's, you guys don't have states, right? So Province. I mean, provinces, like, is it providential? So it's legal in, it, medically Pro- province, legal in province. every province. Okay. Medically. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like so, the US know, we, where we, most states have, well, not, not most, but a lot have medical and some have just you know, recreational. Open. Recreational. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is for us, like we, we call the governing body and we check mm-hmm. those guys on licenses and then they have security that they have to put together. And, you know, it's, it's an option agreement. So, you know, they, they're ultimately will, will buy the company or buy the building from us because Canada is unique where, you know, there are publicly traded companies worth over a billion dollars in the cannabis sector, like canopy oh, wow. growth. So wow. it's, it's quite a different landscape up here. Like in the U S we've looked at it, but there's a, the federal illegality, the new president coming in, you know, yeah. the last thing you, that's downside risk management right there. Like yeah. the possibility of maybe losing a building. No, thank you. You know, yeah. that's the beauty of real estate is it can't be taken away. It's interesting. The, the Denver, I, I know the Denver market, you know, at least well enough to be dangerous at this point. And, you know, when, when, when everything became legalized here, all the old warehouse space around town you know, just started exploding and, and rents went up double, triple, quadruple. Um, it was crazy. It's crazy. I mean, you know, is it good for Colorado? Yeah, sure. It's good for Colorado. Is it good for landlords? Sure. It's good for landlords. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's been fascinating to see the city grow as a result of all this money flowing into to different parts of the city that really were, were fading. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, and, and we looked at a number of buildings in, in Colorado and I, you know, I'd, I'd actually taken a couple trips down and, and looked around, but anything that spikes up that fast, it's just so reminiscent for us of, of like Fort McMurray, which is an oil town here, you know, in Northern Alberta where the oil sands are. And, yeah. you know, oil is, is a cyclical market for sure. And the challenge that we look at, you know, can you get, you know, at, at times they had double wide trailers that were selling for $500,000 and they were leased out at, you know, like $4,200 a month. And I'm going, okay, but when oil, not if, when oil does this again, you know, then who wants to be in Fort McMurray? And, you know, not a lot of people. It's not the same amount of people that live there when when oil's booming. So that kind of risk is just, you know, even if you can get a great cap rate 50% of the time, you know, it it can be sexy and attractive, but, you know, all of a sudden you get a couple zeros on there and that just throws off the entire return. Yeah. Joel, how are, how are you financing all this stuff at this point? Like, what is what does this your company actually look like today? So, closing out that private equity fund, right, which was like a GP and LP structure, you know, traditional, like like I 
like a private equity fund, if you will. Um, and then we do a lot of joint ventures with those partners just because we've worked together and, you know, any deal that we do, we have some skin in the game, but certainly, you know, we were proven earners now to those people. And so we've, you know, we, we've got a lot of access to capital, which has really allowed us to just grow the business for sure. You know, the last five years have been incredibly exciting, but again, it's the same fundamentals. We just spend less time now looking for cash. Are they, are they, are those people funding the down payment and then you're using a bank traditional financing for the rest or are they funding the entire purchase price? Like almost like they are the bank. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's, it's a hybrid of both, but usually, especially in Canada right now, we've got mortgage rates on the residential side at 2.9. So, you know, of course the structure is always, you know, we might buy it, reno it and then refi it and get the cash out without a doubt. Yeah. Very cool. Cool. All right. Kind of last question before I head to the fire round. What, what is your future plans for your business? Like where's it headed? Ah, you know what? It's, it's again, I, I still love, like, I absolutely love the, the demo part of, of rehabbing property. So I don't yeah. think I'd ever get away from that. You know, my RSP or like my, my 401k is, is real estate. And I, I like the longevity and security of, of commercial. So, you know, keep building that. That's, that's, that's a lot more passive income. It's, it's not as, not as active or as much fun as, you know, going to find a deal and planning out a reno and smashing it down and, and redeveloping it. Uh, we are looking at a couple development pieces here. We got a beautiful lake, so there's a lot of scarcity of you know of of land, and so you know the beauty of that is we're looking at a couple development pieces there. So really, I I just love looking at these deals, and so continuing to to look at deals and and do ones that make sense and and learning. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm addicted to it. Cool, love it. very cool, yeah. awesome. All right, well, hey, let's shift gears here and head over to the world famous fire round. It's time for the fire round. Let's get to the fire on these questions, of course, come direct out of the bigger pockets forums, which you can get to at biggerpockets.com slash forums. All right. The world famous fire round. These questions come direct out of the bigger pockets forums, and we're going to fire them at you right now. Number one, I got a hundred thousand dollars to begin investing. Am I stupid to consider? I mean, Josh, don't answer that yet. Am I stupid to consider skipping the small deals and beginning with a larger multifamily or commercial property? It depends on the market. I, you know, again, look at population. If you can get in at a reasonable rate on a multifamily, you know, then you're, you're diversifying, right? You know, that way, if you only have one property and that tenant leaves, you get zero. If you have four properties and one tenant leaves, you still have 75% of your revenue. So if you can, you know, again, I don't know what market that's in and, and what multifamily costs, but if you can get into multifamily, I, I would highly recommend it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. All right, what's the best strategy for bringing inherited residential tenants up to market rent? Don't. Keep them, keep, you think keep them if they're low? No, I, so usually we'll, don't, we'll don't inherit our, a tenant. Don't inherit a tenant. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's, it's, it's always been a headache for us. So now, you know, we'll, we'll always leave that to the current landlord to, to deal with, to pay the fees. So we, we purchase vacant. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Unless now if they're at good rates, right. We'll, we'll actually take the, the new tenant and actually run them through before we remove subjects, we run them through our own analysis and, you know, take a look at how many late payments they've had. You know, we've even, we'll look at potentially pulling credit and, and checking on those things. Fascinating. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. I, when I think of most of my most difficult tenants I've ever had, they're All almost inherited. always inherited. Yep. Cause once they're trained wrong. Well, and it's, especially if, you know, if they've been in the property and, and they're paying $1,200 and then, you, you know, you're the mean guy who's come in and said, yep. Hey, you know, we got up this to, 15 or, you know, even if you get them to agree to it, which, you know, there's a lot of rental laws here that of how much we can put that out. And it, it just, so yeah, vacant, yep. vacant possession. Yeah. Right. I like it. There you go. 
All right, number three, I have the opportunity to buy a retail commercial property, but it has three rental units upstairs. Will, will it be hard to find good tenants? Like, Again, it, depending on the market, depending okay. on what the vacancy rate looks like in there. But I, you know what? If, if they're unique properties, we've done really well with those sort of mixed use commercial on the front. I love it. And then, you know, if it's a, a funky loft style piece on the roof, you know, I, I really like the unique rental properties that, you know, you can kind of control the market and and, and you know, you're not competing with that sort of, oh, it's a two bedroom and den condo looks like every single other one. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. A little advantage, right? And there's disadvantages and in, in that only specific people want those potentially when the time comes to sell. But yep. yeah. All right. Last question. How do other agents balance their time between being an agent and growing their own real estate? It's something I struggle with a lot. If I'm working on my agent business, I'm not really working on my investing and vice versa. So where's the balance from one agent to you? I color block my calendar. And there's a, there's a little thing that these uh, guys put out called a productivity planner, simple, and it's paper and pen. And I, you know, again, in the morning, I just map out like the top three things of my day. And so, you know, if we've just exited a property or if we're looking to close a deal, you know, then that's a priority. And I just need to put it in there and make time for it. Because, you know, on the agent side, you can be reactionary all day, every day, as busy as you want. But, you know, we got to be purposeful and, and really focus the time and, and make sure we're getting to the highest and best use of that time. Which for me, cool. you know, is making sure I'm, I'm planning for that retirement. And yeah. Yeah, yeah I know a lot nice. of agents who, you know, have been, have been agents for 10 years and they still don't even, you know, they don't own a single property. They've just been so busy with their building their agent business and keeping that steady. They never take time mm-hmm. to look in their future. So. But, you know, it's, it's such an act of income, right? And it's, it's a brilliant, like I absolutely love the real estate sales world. Sure. But, you know, as soon as you stop selling, you stop making money. So, yeah, diversify. There you go. I love it. All right. Well, hey, before we cool. get out of here, let's go to our world famous. Famous for. All right, Joel. So number one, what is your favorite real estate related book? Oh, I'm in the process of writing one, so I don't really? think it can be mine. Yeah. No, it can't be yours. That's <laughs> yeah, cool. Though. No, it can't be mine. You know what? The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. Okay. And okay. and Shift. Cool. Shift was brilliant too. Yeah. Right on. Both Gary Excellent. Keller, by the way. Yes. Yep. Yes. Good, yes. Good stuff. All right. Cool. Favorite business book. Ooh. Favorite business book. There's there's a couple. You know, Napoleon Hill. Anything by Napoleon's been great. I really like the Saint, the Surfer, and the CEO, Robin Sharma. I haven't Great read book. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't know that one. More so, but like balance in work. I, I, I struggle with that for sure. You know, nice. I can just put my head down and be crazy focused on work and I love what I do, but you know, you got to make sure there's time for family, friends, relationships and all that. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. What about hobbies? What do you do for fun outside of real estate? I love to travel for sure. Love wine, snowboard in the winter, wake surf in the summer. So yeah, really anything outdoors. I mean, I'm just in the office and on the phone so much that anytime I can put that down and we got, we got a beautiful backyard here, you know, like definitely very clean four seasons. summer is summer, winter is winter. Yeah. So yeah, just getting outside. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Cool. All right, my, la- my last question of the day, Joel, what do you think sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Getting started is definitely the key. You know, it's like, yeah, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Ooh, but, I like that. You know, Start with a plan. Yeah. Start with a plan and and look at like how could this go wrong and what can I put in place to protect myself? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Interesting. That's Let's great. Let's start. That's great. Cool. Start. Yeah. Hey, before we let you go, 
Where can people find out more about you? So track me down on the real estate side is sherlockandassociates.ca. And then our matching platform that talks about, you know, when we were matching our our deals to our our found deals uh, is househarmony.com. So it's like like a dating site for for people. Like a dating site for real estate deals. Yeah. That's, That's cool. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Joel, thank you so much for coming on. Lots of luck to you going forward and we appreciate your time. Hey, thank you. All right. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Cheers. All right, guys, that was Joel Sherlock. Big thanks to Joel for coming on the show. Interesting stuff, huh? Yeah, very cool. I I like his, uh, again, I like the thinking big. I like the, you know, let's not buy one property, let's buy a whole bunch of them, 200 some doors. Uh, You know, I like this picking the markets. I mean, I just think some solid, solid advice there. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. So definitely interesting. Not, not for everybody, obviously, you know, I, I think you know, going after the big stuff is you know, potentially you need to have a little more knowledge, right? You, you've, you've got to understand finance a little better. You have to understand real estate a little bit better before you, you start to get into that stuff. But, you know, Hey, listen, hopefully you guys all learned something and, and it was, it was cool to have uh, another Canadian on the show. Yeah. It is always good to have our brothers from the North. Yes. Yes, of course. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is show 215. If you've got any questions uh, for Joel, jump on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 215. And I don't know, Brandon, you got anything else or we good to go? I, you know, I think we're probably good to go. I'm a, I, you feel my voice getting a little scratchy here? I think yeah, I'm, I think I'm coming down tired. with something. You're sounding tired. Yeah, it could man. be like yelling a lot this weekend or it could just be like, I'm getting sick. I don't know. Well, I don't feel know. better. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Why don't you take us out of here? All right. Well, for the Bigger Pockets Podcast, my name is Brandon, and this is Josh. Signing, Signing off. off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. All right, guys, today's show, show two for you. Why why do I feel so cheesy? (laughs) (laughs) The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.